Hi there, and welcome to the Sanctuary Podcast. Our vision is to find sanctuary in Christ and then to be sanctuary to each other and express sanctuary to this city. And so for us, success is loving well, one person at a time. And if we can help you in any way, please do feel free to reach out, jump onto our website, sanctuarysf.com, and we would love to connect. Anyway, back to the podcast. Great. Okay, friends. Well, if you want to grab your, your Bibles, uh, turn to the Gospel of Mark. And we have been just sitting at the feet of Christ, so to speak, in this series, in a time when the world is just unbelievably confusing and complex and divided. Uh, I was, just felt so excited to just come back with fresh eyes and to see Jesus, to, to kind of ask this question, what does it actually feel like to be around him? And um, we assume we know him. We really do. We assume so often that our picture of Jesus is clear and it's just, well, so, um, for me anyway, I so often assume, oh, I know how Jesus would respond and he doesn't. And, and he is more marvelous and in a sense mysterious often than we, uh, than we sometimes think. Um, so the aim of this is it's, it's not got a big theme. Oh, it's all about this. It's genuinely about trying to sit with the scripture and imagine the picture. What would have it felt like? And Robbie served us looking at Jesus's authority. And Robbie was like, I would have never taught on the issue of authority if I could have had any free choice. But the scripture, when you go through it verse by verse, forces you to look at things you wouldn't normally necessarily look at. And that's so helpful. So today we come to our next section. Could somebody read verse 35? to the end of the chapter, verse 35. It is on the screen. So, thank you, Robbie. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, Let us go on to the next towns, that I may preach there also. For that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. And a leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places and people were coming to him from every quarter. Man, I've done 10 verses or so, which at first glance, you think, oh yeah, there we go. But the more you sit with just those verses, there is so much in there. So before I talk for a while, what, what, what did you see? What were you seeing? 
what caught your attention? Kind of right. <laughs> Can you say a tiny bit more? Give me an example. Right. Great. Yes. Expecting, I guess, his faith to like also embrace him. It's interesting that like Jesus would be irritated about people like desiring that embrace, I guess. Mm -hmm. uh, but that way kind of packs out. Yeah. It's great. Thanks, Tana. What else? Okay. <laughs> okay. That's interesting. Like maybe he was like, oh no. I know what's gonna happen here. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. That that yeah, that's a that's a great thought. What else? Yes. Talked about how it was like an evening. Mm -hmm. The town of people like brought all their sick and probably spent hours dealing with Totally. And then he's up early in the morning. Yeah. He's like, go pray. I'm like, what? Like, yeah, yeah. Sleeping, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Your body's exhausted. Yes. 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 For a while, I think what the first jo job is always just to try and see it accurately and just let that slowly sink in. Like, that is true. Jesus surely would have been tired as a man. He was up late. It's, the context seems to have been he was just having a private time and then Simon's mum's ill, mother-in-law's ill, happens to heal her and boom, the whole of the town is like, <gasps> and so he, you know, he rolls with it, but he's exhausted. So... It's, that's, a, that's an important piece, I, I think, as well. Anything else that you noticed? Um, it seems like when they went and found him, wherever he was praying, they were like, hey, like, everyone's looking for you. Like, come on, like, we need you, basically, to come, come see these people. Mm -hmm. And he instead said, like, let's go someplace else. Right. So I can preach, like, that is why I've come. Oh. So whereas there's a bunch of people that probably wanted healing or his presence for their own gain. Mm. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I, I view it a different way as in like he talked to one group and he's like I can't just focus on this one group again I need to keep talking to a new group and so mm. that's why you know, sure. maybe why he was also like ready to get out of there because like if I yeah. hang around then I miss out on this new group over here wow 
Well, and also it was it was a big deal. So the TGA, the leprosy didn't have any cure. No, absolutely. Nobody, and it's very interesting that in the law there was something specific that people needed to be to do mm-hmm. when they got cured from leprosy. Yes. But there was no cure. So Very good, Victor. When he, he said, yeah, that we are now go and fulfill what the law says. Yes. That was just written there yeah. for this specific moment. Wow. Because nobody got cured from, from leprosy. <sighs> so it's no wonder why people wanted to get got so excited. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Because I don't know what analogy you mm-hmm. made, but if somebody just got cured from cancer, from an Curable cancer in one second. I mean, what would happen, right? Wow. Man, this is perfect. <laughs> this is so great. I love this. And it is the thing about Christ is he is so sort of intriguing, isn't he? he he's kind of like a, not a bar of soap, that sounds really religious, but you know, you kind of trying to get a hold of him and it's like, why? Why? Um, and what I guess I, I would want to say is I think when I look at this, when I look at this, this series of events, it's like there's two stories going on. There's the kind of success, yay, Jesus is making bad things go away and he's preaching and he's active and there's a lot of movement and even lepers are being healed, like unreal. But when you, but there's almost like a, a second story going on as well, a more soulful, subtle almost slightly, I want to say sad, that might be an overstatement, but a slightly intriguing other narrative that I think John Mark is wanting us to see, which is that although all these, Jesus is starting to heal, but did you notice, and you were starting to say it, that the, the impact of people getting stuff from Jesus seems to be bringing out something not entirely wonderful in their character. It's almost like Jesus has got this tension because he wants to heal, he can heal. But I want to show today that actually what you see subtly is that it kind of damages the relationships between Jesus and the people who are experiencing his blessing. It's absolutely fascinating. It's like, we need stuff. We want stuff. Give it to us, Jesus. Oh, wow, you've given it to us. And then suddenly, there's this side that comes out of all of the three main characters. You see Simon and his companions. That's one. Then you see, it just says everyone, which is like a big crowd. That's number two. And then number three, you see the leper. And I want to argue this. My central, I mean, there's loads you could say on this. So this isn't like the only point, but I really felt like led to talk about this. Is you see, it's interesting, it starts and it finishes with like Jesus in a lonely place. He starts in a lonely, solitary place and he ends. And it's almost like Jesus, Jesus, I don't think feels particularly close to anyone in this story. There's this kind of narrative of like, humans don't do well when they're given the thing that they need so much. And this is the, how do we have relationship with a person who is like, spiritually speaking, dwarfs Elon Musk? How do you have relationship with someone who can give you so much? 
You know, you meet, oh, this guy, Jeff. Oh, Jeff's really cool. Yeah, we got him well. We're watching the Warriors game with Jeff. He's kind of cool. He's been honest about his life. Then turns out it's Jeff Bezos. But he's got a moustache, so I didn't recognize him. Suddenly, how do you have relationship with Jeff when Jeff is not normal, right? So I, I think I want to look at two things here. I think what we see in these three different people, the Simon, the disciples, it seems, the crowds, and, and the leper, there's, there's three kind of there's mistakes that they make, all right? I want to look at that briefly and see if we see ourselves in them. How they relate to Jesus is actually quite clear in the text. It isn't great. It's understandable, and I want to bathe this in grace because this is totally, all, all that they're doing is understandable, but it is actually clearly not actually great. How they relate to Jesus when they're blessed isn't great. But then secondarily, I, I want to look at the marvel of how we know Jesus responds. Even when they and we don't respond well to Jesus, you know, our, we don't relate to him as we should. Nevertheless, we're going to see that Jesus' compassion and kindness and love always wins. His mercy triumphs over judgment, Okay. So it's a challenge and an encouragement. So first of all, then, look at the mistakes that these guys make. First of all, and, I, and I've, I've uh, you could find better words than this, I'm sure. Some of you are wordsmiths. But I think you see these three different things. With Simon, the first scene, he, I'm going to show that he's quite assuming, or almost like entitled, the way he enters Jesus' presence. Then you're going to see this description of the, the everyone who are coming up to get stuff from Jesus to be healed. And they're clearly pretty demanding. And then we also see with the leper, and man, I get it. I can't, I can't, just can't imagine how joyful he must have been. But the fact that he does do what he does is a point that John Mark is trying to get us to see. We can sympathize with his blabbermouth, but it is clumsy. And it, it means Jesus... It affects Jesus. He has to leave. He's in a lonely, it finishes with him being in a lonely place because of how um, the leper described, or how he responds to him. So first of all then, the first thing we see is Simon and his, and his companions. It says here, very early in the morning. Okay, so just notice the word very. I don't know what that is. That's probably like three or something. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up. And he left the house and he went to a solitary place. So all of these little descriptions are trying to make clear the point. Jesus really wants to be on his own. <laughs> like this is like, an, there's nothing more that Jesus could do to communicate. I need some time with my father. Okay. And what's, what's the activity that he's doing? He's praying. Isn't it true that, you know, when someone prays, you know, if I want to get the attention of sanctuary, I can keep saying, hey, guys, hey, guys, hey, guys, stop talking, hey, guys, and you just ignore me. If I start praying, Father, cuts through, right? There is something about prayer that we naturally honor. Even on the streets, if you hear someone praying, as humans, we naturally just honor that. There's, there's a power around even just another person praying. So what I'm trying to say is think about the scene. Here is Simon and the companions, it's, Jesus is in the house, they, they, they get to him, and it says, uh, it says here in the English, the NIV went to look for him. 
The scholars uh, around this say that's a very anemic translation. The actual Greek word is hunting. He's hunting for Jesus. And it's very similar in feel to the time in Mark 8 when Jesus says, I've got to suffer. And Peter gets in his grill. He's like, no! It's that feel of like, he's assuming, he's over-familiar. And what seems to be happening is, anyone here guess, why do you think Simon Peter is just barging in on Jesus in this intimate moment, ignoring his, his holy prayer? What, what, why do you think it's likely... What do you think is possibly going on in his heart that he is one, why he's so adamant that Jesus stops doing this and gets to work? Yeah. Right. Yes. I think I hadn't even thought of that, but that's an obvious point. Any other things that might have been going on? You know, your friend Jesus is like superstar Jesus now. And you're really close to him. You're his kind of key leader. If you, like, you're kind of getting some, like, notoriety right. by being his right-hand man. Yeah. It's like you want to maintain that. Mm-hmm. Maybe, like, he doesn't realize that that's going on in his heart, but maybe it's there. I, that, that's how I read it, personally. And I, I don't think we can be totally sure, but I think it's definitely possible that he is invading his... He could have come up and said, oh, sorry, Jesus, I didn't realize. I'll come back in a few hours. But he doesn't. He barges in. So the first thing we see is, is like, and, and the writer wants us to see that. There's almost like a, a vulnerability of Jesus. He's like trying to get some space. So let me ask this question is, I mean, are you sometimes, you know, we, we, we often say, oh, it's great with Jesus. I can just come with him how I want. That's true. But actually, I don't think John Mark is saying it's fine for, Jesus, for, for, you know, for Peter just to barge in when Jesus was like actually doing something. It says in the book of James, he says, you don't have because you don't ask. And when you ask, you ask with the wrong motives. You ask so that you can get stuff for yourself. So if you think about what it is to be around Jesus, like certainly when he was on earth as a person, you know, like if if you think about if you're going to meet an important person, you know, it matters. (laughs) It matters how you approach them, right? You don't just like rock up like, all right, mate, you know, you kind of... There's a sense of like, how, how, what's, the, what's the way that I come into this presence? And I think, I think um, for me, I notice like if I'm hurried, if there's like a kind of intensity and a pace with me, or if there's like a, I don't know, like an over-familiarity with Jesus. Like I felt Jesus a few months ago say to me, just like, before you start to pray to me, I want you to become more aware of how you are. So if you're going to go and meet someone famous or powerful, someone you respected, or you walk Shark Tank, before they go in, they're like, they're composing themselves. Because it matters, right? Now, Jesus is our friend. He is our, he is our, you don't have to kind of become super self-conscious. But it, but it seems to be saying here that like, actually, Peter's just assuming, he's just barging in at this moment. I just find that fascinating. I think, wow, could, I know I probably sometimes do that with Jesus. He wants me to approach his throne of grace with confidence, Hebrews. In the same book, it talks about coming with reverence and awe. So do we ever assume that? Do we ever assume, are we over familiar almost in how we sometimes approach Jesus? What we see secondarily is interesting, similar, but it's subtly different. 
What does he say? When they found him, they exclaimed. So they kind of shout at him. <laughs> There's Jesus having this holy moon. They barge in and they exclaim. Everyone looking for you, in his English accent. Comes in, everyone's looking for you. Again, in the, in the Greek, are we thinking, oh, that's nice. They're looking for him. No. No, every time, 10 times, this phrase, looking for you, is used in the New Testament. It's always negative. For example, the Pharisees were looking for a way to have Jesus killed. That again is a very clear kind of, uh, in the original language, this sense of like, they're looking for you because they know that you're going to give them something. They want to control you. That's the feel of it. It's almost, the image in my mind is a bit like when Jesus was arrested and there's this crowd coming up of soldiers to come and to arrest him. It's not like this, I mean, we get it. You know, if you know there's this healer in town, you're going to want healing. But the feel is so interesting. It is, it is, it is, it is quite um, sober and negative about this crowd coming. They're demanding. I mean, if you go back to the uh, the one before, it's like they know that if we get to this Jesus, we can get something out of him. Again, and, and what? Why is John Mark? What, what is he communicating? I think it's that he wants us to understand, again, when, when, when we realize Jesus can give us so much, be it healing can, or, or any kind of blessing, there can arise in us something of that kind of demanding spirit, right? Or is it just me? In the way that I pray, if I pray at all, the way I expect life to go, the way I'm outraged when something doesn't happen that makes me look good. You know, and I can see this sense of like, oh, it's no longer about actually Jesus. It's about what Jesus is going to give me. And it's almost like you can see Jesus is like, I want to actually be your friend. I want to teach. As you were saying, I want to preach to you. And the reason that preaching was his highest thing was because then I can communicate. I can talk to you. And you can hear truth. Now, I know you're in pain, and I know those things are awful, and, and I want to solve it, but the problem is that humans don't tend to do too well when there is power around. It tends to make us a bit like Gollum, you know? It tends to make us either assuming, like with Peter, like, this is, you're my ticket to power, and you need to get going, Jesus. Come on, I don't care if you're praying. There's people out here. Let's get to work. Or this crowd who are demanding something from Jesus. Man, I just think, gosh... Do I just, this is the same Jesus. Same Jesus. It says in Isaiah 42, um, talks about this, this picture of the Messiah coming. He would be the servant of the Lord. And it says, a bruised reed he will not break. A smoldering wick he will not snuff out. And what he's saying is, is like when, this, when Jesus, when God comes to earth, there's going to be an understated feel to his power. He will have power, but someone who feels like a bruised reed will want to be around him. You know? He's not going to be Buzz Lightyear. He's not going to be like Captain Power. And this is what we see here. It's like Jesus wants to heal, but as soon as he starts to let the power flow, it brings up this kind of reactivity in people, this grabbing. 
And, and that's why I think partly why Jesus is like, actually, like humans always want a kind of king that I'm not. I am a servant king. I have power, but actually the most glorious moment of it is going to be me hanging on a cross naked for you. And you humans are not going to understand that because you don't want a king like that. You want a king who has really got it together, who loves crowds, who loves lots of power and everything. And actually, this, I've got a hidden way. I'm different. I'm like, I'm someone who actually um, wants to come close to the broken. And broken people don't want to be around a big, showy, razzmatazz type guy. They want to be around someone who actually, they feel safe around. And I think this is what's going on. And, um, and so Jesus is like, man, gosh, I knew this was going to happen. You know, as soon as I start to heal, as soon as the power starts to go, it brings, it sort of damages these relationships that I want to have. And then you see it even with the leper, right? You see, even with the leper, and we know probably a, a bit about leprosy, that it was so horrendous. It was such an awful thing. It was kind of scandalous that the leper just kind of came straight to Jesus' like presence. There were men who stay 50 paces away. There were men who have clothes that were always torn and to literally shout, unclean, unclean. It's horrendous. It says that leprosy wasn't healed, it was cleansed. It's the only thing that's talked about being cleansed because it was a shameful thing, not just a healing issue. And this leper comes really shockingly into Jesus' presence. And what do we see? Jesus, again, filled with compassion. He's indignant at that disease. And he, he can't help, but not just heal him. What does he do with his hand? Do you notice? He touches him. But he looks him in the eye and he says, please, will you do this one thing? As your new friend, please just don't tell anyone. Because if you tell everyone, I will be prematurely arrested because everyone's going to know the Messiah's here and I will be arrested and I won't be able to fulfill. Secondarily, because people will just latch onto the healing prosperity bit. And I wanted to be healed. But more than that, I wanted to know God. I actually want you to have a relationship with me. And if you open your mouth, you are making a choice. You are making a choice, O oh leper that you are going to choose to have momentary crowds who go, wow, or you can have friendship with me in the secret place. All I'm asking is please don't say anything. And I get it, man. How, it's a hard request, right? You've received this, your deepest request, your deepest desire. But it is interesting. Look what happens to Jesus. He says, um, instead, he went out and began to talk freely. And as a result, Jesus could, could no longer open a town openly. He had to stay outside in the lonely places. Jesus becomes the leper. He, he has to go in and experience what the leper had been experiencing. So, man, it's our... I guess what I'm trying to say is, is, as I've looked at this, I've thought, man, if I was in any of those scenes, I identify with them all. I mean, assuming, demanding, and clumsy. But I think it just kind of matters. Like, even now, how we approach Jesus. Like, do you see in yourself today any of those kind of postures of approach? Do you see in yourself any of those kind of like ways in which you are prone to approach Jesus.
just kind of entitled or assuming, or when you're in his presence, really, like those crowds, kind of just, I've just got my prayer list. I'm not actually, am I actually fascinated with Jesus? Am I curious about him? Do I want to know him? You know? Or do I just want to kind of get? And, and are there things that Jesus has said to me, hey, let's just keep this between ourselves. It's, you know, our relationship with Jesus is sensitive. It's sensitive. He is God and he is a king, but if he's the same Jesus now, right, what I'm learning from this is, is like how you interact with him matters. It actually matters. It's kind of a head-bending thought, isn't it? Like, it's not okay to just for us to just be like, oh, yeah, he's Jesus. He's great. He's, he is great, and he forgives us, of course. But, like, you know, that grace is meant to teach us to be like, man, I... I, I want to I approach you with confidence, but also with, with awe and with a sense of like wisdom and respect that you are, you are the king. Um, it's funny, I, uh, early in my marriage with Josie, it was, it was, I don't know any of you who are married, if you noticed this or if you've had a relationship before. When we, we were fairly, you know, kind and respectful privately. And then we went to a, we go to a party and then we would just get a bit overexcited. And we, <laughs> we would sometimes start to be really bantery with each other, like in front of other people, you know, like slightly mocking or like, um, maybe none of you, you're looking at me blank as if like, no, I never do that. Well, anyway, for, for some reason, it was almost like I would, I would want in that moment, uh, a momentary kind of like buzz of, of, of making, you know, making fun of Josie or whatever. Um, and, and Josie the same with me, and we'd get into this slightly odd dynamic of almost like, um, kind of just like, yeah, like banter. And um, it may just be a me and Josie thing, but it was like afterwards, I, I was always like, you know, that, I just felt like there was something, we lost ourselves for a moment there. We lost ourselves. And I just think like, man, with all these guys, you know, with Simon and the crowds and the, and the left, I'm like, yeah. There's something of that in these stories. But Jesus is like, I really want to give you tremendous things. The problem is, I want you more. If it's going to damage my relationship with you, I will hold it back. I will. And we will get angry and stomp and have a tantrum and throw out our, you know. But you suddenly realize why. So there's a conviction here. So let me just ask you this question. One more time, is there, any, is there any part of you today the Spirit is just saying, I love you and I'm for you, but your approach sometimes to the Lord is a little, just assuming, you know, you're kind of barging in, not waiting on the Lord, not listening. It's a lot of you talking, not a lot of you listening. <laughs> you know, a lot of activity, not a lot of sitting. You know, you won't give me much time. And I take time. Or maybe we're just kind of demanding, controlling. Maybe our prayers are filled with an anxious feel. Because <laughs> we've got to control, you know? We've got to get this thing. Maybe there's just a clumsiness. But we finish in the last five minutes. I want to say this. What uh, Jesus is affected. Our response really does matter. That's what I'm trying to say. And in, in some ways, I just 
almost just want to stop and just let it be challenging. But that isn't the whole of Scripture, right? It isn't binary. It isn't like, oh, well, if you come to Jesus with an assuming or a demanding or a clumsy attitude, you've blown it. He's going to take offense in a huff, like your parents or whoever, and leave. That is not what we see. I love how it ends. It says, Jesus goes to the lonely places, yet the people still came to him from everywhere. And it seems like he's like, here we go again. I love you so much. And you're not going to probably deal very well when I heal you again. But I, I'm not going to, my grace is bigger. I'm still going to love you. There's not, and we know about Simon, even if he was, even if I am right, that he was assuming in this moment. And we certainly know that later on, he uh, it gets in Jesus's grill and gets it horrendously wrong about um, suffering. And then we know that when he's on the Mount of Transfiguration, he's blabbering away in front of Moses and Jesus saying, hey, let's pitch up tents. You know, there's another kind of Peter-like element. And then, of course, he denies him. But what we see when you look at the letters of 1 and 2 Peter, which is later in his life, you see a man who is so different. You see a man who is so kind and compassionate and sympathetic and sensitive to others. When you look at 1 and 2 Peter, written by this guy Simon, years later, you can see the impact of the grace of Jesus. You can see that Jesus hasn't turned away from, and he doesn't turn away from us. He challenges us, and he says, I don't want you to always assume your view of me is the same. I want to keep growing in how you understand me. And that will be convicting. It should make us feel like, wow, Lord, I'm sorry if I've just, you know, approached you in a way that's not actually helpful to our relationship. But his face is kind. His posture is loving. And he, as what, what, you know, we've learned, haven't we, even recently, that even at Jesus' baptism, where he interacts with his father, and his father says, this is my son whom I love, with whom I am well pleased. And we've been saying it again and again, what's a way of understanding those three things that his father sang over him? I'm proud of you. I'm patient with you. And I take pleasure in you. That is who God is. Now, you, you might say, yeah, but... I'm not like, of course he's proud and pleasurable in Jesus. That's Jesus. You've just made me feel rubbish, Tom. I feel all of those things. So I can't, my father's not going to be proud of me, right? I can't have those nice three Ps spoken over me after listening to that. But here's the scandal of the gospel. You still can. By the grace of God, as Christians, we believe that when Jesus died and rose again and offered us a relationship with God, somehow now forever, those of us who are we're in Christ, even when we are assuming and demanding and clumsy, he is still patient with us. He still is proud of us, especially when we repent and say, Lord, I'm sorry if I've been those things. Man, I was so proud of someone in this plant recently who just, who just confessed to something, a big thing in their life in a semi-public setting. I was so proud of them. And it's like, man, that person hadn't been getting something right. And they said, I want to say in the, sub- in the semi-public setting, this is a real thing in my life. It's a really big deal. And it's not a small issue. It's a big issue. But I'm doing this about it. And I'm not going to live in shame. And I'm telling you as a way for you to hold me accountable. And because I feel safe in this environment. Man, 
you know, no dry eye in that room at that moment. You could hear the angels almost celebrating. This not a shameful thing. This person had the courage to say, this thing that's quite ugly and I've kept private, I am feeling safe because I know that Jesus is still patient with me and proud of me and takes pleasure in me because by grace, I'm in Christ and he loves me even though I'm not perfect. Now that is a mystery because that's not like any other relationship we have, right? In any other relationship, if we're like assuming, demanding, clumsy, then you probably lose that relationship. But here's the mystery of the grace of God is that you are free. We're free to say, oh man, I, I probably need to repent of some of those. But I do it in the context of the safety of being in Christ, knowing that my father is proud of me. And in a sense, he's never more proud of me than when I repent and I actually own it. I mean, it says there's more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents. And that's just like, not just when they become a Christian, it's like throughout your life that when we say, man, I didn't realize I was assuming or demanding or clumsy. And we say, I am sorry. It's not like he is like, well, I'll speak to you in a month. There's a pride he has in you. He says, well done, sister. Well done, brother. It's been very obvious to me for a long time because I can see everything. But praise God, you're growing. And it's embarrassing and it's a bit painful, but praise God, it's like an aroma to me. It's an aroma to me. And, and the world may not see it like that because you want to put up your masks and be perfect.com. That's not the atmosphere of the father's house. Amen. What's the atmosphere of the father when he sees his son who's ripped him off, staggering back with his rubbish plan? He's like, son, you know the story, right, Luke 15? Yes, Tom. It's pretty good news. He runs to him. And even today, man, this is like, God, the grace of God. Man, the grace of God that he runs to us. He convicts us. He, he, doesn't, he doesn't, you know, um, patronize you with like, oh, I'm so grateful you've given me some of your time. How dare we say that? How dare we say that? As if we're as if we're doing God a favor. It's insane. Such a repugnance to him. If there's any of that in you, don't let that leave this room. You are not doing him a favor, giving him your time. This is the holy God of the universe. If he graces us with entrance into his presence, man, we forever say holy, holy, holy. Man, I am so entitled. I have such a high opinion of myself, so subtly. And this is till the day I die, it's gonna be something I have to keep repenting of. But it's such a sweet repentance to, to, to say, no, the path of the cross is I follow you, Jesus, in a, in a humble place. Yeah, I don't, like, if there's any offensive way in me, just shine a light on it and leave me in the way everlasting. Don't leave me in a, in a you know, it's not, if there's an offensive way in me, I wanna get heavy hearted and depressed. No, no, leave me in the way everlasting, right? Man, I, I hope this is communicating. I hope to some degree some of us are seeing ourselves even slightly in these people. But the big story when we zoom back is not like, well, if you do, then you're damned because that's not the message of the gospel. You, you know, God is in a sense unshockable, but he is committed to you becoming more like his son. That I can promise. And he is he wants to use all things for the good of those who are called according to his purposes so that his son would be the firstborn of many, that he would have a whole family, an eternal family of men and women 
who are, who are just, who can just say, being around Christ is enough. He's not doing me a favor. Sorry, I'm not doing him a favor by giving him some scrap of my time. Man, he is unbelievably good and kind for letting me come into his presence again and again. So, just take a moment and um, ask yourself the question, you know, search me, O Lord. I mean, I don't know, in the last 40 minutes, maybe we read that bit of scripture and we're like, oh yeah, Jesus heals people. Wait, strangely, strangely tongue to stay quiet. I wonder why that is. Maybe, you know, maybe we started this little journey and um, maybe we're like, oh yeah, Jesus just loves to heal people. And that's true. But maybe there's also a sense in which, yeah, there's just that sense of like the more subtle story of, of Jesus's desire for us to know what he wants for us in terms of how we interact with him. So let's just spend a few moments in silence. And just reflect upon that question. <clears throat>